0: If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. This is a one-off standalone message. I was praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do? Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We've got Silas and Riley Thompson in the house. Y'all, give Silas and Riley an initial hand before you get to meet them. Go ahead. You probably don't know Silas and Riley yet if this is your first time here, but They are missionaries to Mongolia and really model for us a lot of what we're going to be looking at this morning, and I'm excited to get to have them in the house. So we have both of these things, and I was thinking, Lord, what what word do you have for us? And, um, And I was in Luke 19 in my devotional time, and I thought, this parable that Jesus told is perfect for us. So Luke chapter 19... Uh, I'm going to begin in verse 11. I'm going to read this parable, and then I'll pray over our time together. So let's listen to the word of the Lord together. And let's, I just, we always get to this place, right? Let's come trembling. Let's come in awe that God would speak to us. This is not just like, oh, a parable. This is so nice. This is fire coming out of the Son of God's mouth. And so let's come with trembling and listen. As they heard these things... Jesus proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas, And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. And sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minor from him and give it to the one who has ten minus. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minus. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray. Lord God, we have desperate need for your spirit to come and open our hearts to receive your word. We want to come humbly to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. So I pray for every heart in this room, everyone listening online, you can hear the sound of my voice. I pray that you would speak and that we would listen and that you would give us hearts to obey, give us faith to trust you, give us the gift of repentance. Lord, our desire is to be faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Well. I'm going to only, only preach for about 20 to 25 minutes and I'm going to hand it off to my man Silas so he can share with us a little bit about the ministry that God has called he and his wife Riley to. So I want to look with you at this parable and I want you to consider the immediate context. Jesus has just been at Zacchaeus' house. You guys are probably familiar with Zacchaeus' um, the wee little man that you learned about as a child who got up into a tree so that he could see Jesus. Jesus goes to his house. Uh, he forgives Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus demonstrates uh, real repentance. He bears fruit in keeping with repentance and the religious leaders have a hard time with Jesus spending time with sinners going to uh, this chief tax collector's house. And Jesus said, the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost. This is why he came. Now, this is what they had just heard, and they heard Son of Man, and they had this alarm go off that you may not have go off when you hear Son of Man. When they heard Son of Man, they hear God's forever king is here. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is the context. He's marching towards Jerusalem for the final time. Crowds are following him, and he declares to everyone, the Son of Man came to seek And to save that which is lost. Now, his point was he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and they got hung up on this is the Son of Man. He's going towards Jerusalem. And you remember the disciples are thinking, who's going to get to be on his right? Who's going to get to be on his left? Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? This is it. This is the time. But it wasn't, not in the way that they were thinking. So Jesus tells this parable because they thought that the kingdom was going to be ushered in right now and his point is there's work to do. So let's look at the king's words together. He goes to receive a kingdom and then return. He entrusted each of the servants with about three months worth of wages and they all get the same amount. They all get this one mina that is equivalent to three months worth of wages and he says, until I return I want you to work. I want you to be a steward of what I am entrusting to you. And you can hear this in the language of the faithful servants when they come and present to the Lord what they had returned. They said, Lord, your mina has returned 10. They don't even take credit for it themselves. They're not saying, Lord, I worked super hard and look what I produced. The language is... Lord, you entrusted this to us, and, and look what, what you have given us has done. They, they knew themselves not to be owners, but stewards, and Jesus said, until I return for you, make a return on what I've entrusted to you. This is the point of Jesus's parable. He is coming, and he has entrusted us with many things, we'll get to it, and the question of the king when he comes back to return is, what have you done with what I've entrusted to you? And that's the question that I'm praying would just resound through the halls of your heart this morning, is what have you done with what Jesus has entrusted to you? He is the nobleman who has gone away to retrieve a kingdom, and he has entrusted to us work to do and he says be faithful until I come now there were servants that he had entrusted these minds to and there's also this other group who were the citizens and they hate him so much they send a delegation after him to say go tell that man we want nothing to do with his reign or with his rule and we see at the end of this parable Jesus he deals first with the servants there's a really faithful servant there's a faithful servant and then there's a servant who's completely unfaithful And then there's these unbelieving citizens who represent the Jews at that time and all the world who rejects Jesus' lordship now. Anyone who does not want Jesus to reign over their life is not a Christian. You cannot have Jesus' salvation and receive his forgiveness and reject his lordship. And that means his reign over the details of our lives over the the days and moments of our lives, this one servant had him as his functional king, but didn't fear him didn't obey him didn't do what he said to do so let's take them in order and I want to compare this just real quick with the parable of the talents because it's different. Later in Luke, Jesus uh, tells a parable of this king entrusting talents to servants, and he gives one five and the guy returns five on his five. So he gave him five, he brings back 10. The other is entrusted with three, I think, and he brings back three. And so in that parable, they both received the same commendation because they both doubled what the king had given them. And, and he gives them the exact same commendation. He gave to each one a different amount in that parable. But here in our parable this morning, He gives everybody the same mina. Everybody starts with the same gift that he's entrusting. And because they have varying degrees of faithfulness, he gives them different commendations and different rewards. He he is coming and his reward is with him to render to each of his servants according to what we have done. There is a direct correlation between... Your faithfulness to Jesus in obeying him now and the reward that he gives you in eternity. And it matters. That's one of the main points, I think, of this parable is that there are some servants who, f- who hear that and think it doesn't matter. Like as long as I get to heaven, then it doesn't matter. But Jesus's point here is it matters. It matters. I have entrusted to you a work to do and carry it out with faithfulness, my reward is with me to render to you according to what you've done. So the first receives one mina, and he makes 10 minas on his one mina. Everybody wants this guy to work for them, right? This is a great return. You give a guy one dollar, you come back, he gives you ten dollars. That's a good worker. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little and so here's 10 cities now I don't want the generosity of this to get lost on us because even in the parable this guy gets entrusted with three months worth of labor he returns call it three years worth of labor and the reward is you get to reign over 10 cities forever this is a good and a generous king It says you can't give a cup of water to somebody in my name without him seeing it and rewarding it. We don't know what the rewards are going to be like in eternity, but I can promise you it's going to be good. It's going to be infinitely bigger and better than what you sacrificed here in order to obey him, in order to honor him. Jesus tells us as much as the promise that we've clung to. No doubt you guys have clung to it too. No one's left father, mother, sister, brother. For my name's sake, that doesn't in this life receive a hundredfold and in the age to come eternal life. So the second returns five minas on the one. And rather than hearing, well done, good servant, he says, great. You'll receive the same correlating award. The first guy returned ten minus. He gets ten cities. God is a fair and a just God. So he gives the guy who returned five minus five cities. one one city per mina. The commendation is different. And if Christ is in you, then pleasing him is all that matters to you. That's all you want to hear. Well done. You were faithful in little. And so here I'll make you reign over much. The third is a faithless and unfaithful servant. You can hear it It's the equivalent of judging God and his character and his ways. Maybe some providence happened in your life and it felt bitter to you. And so you believe God to be a harsh God, an untrustworthy God. You don't like how God reigns in your life. And so you don't make a return on what he's entrusted to you. You lose sight of the mission of God, the gospel that he's given you. You, you lose sight of all the gifts and things that he's entrusted to you, and you bury it. You bury the revelation that he's given you. You bury the grace that he's given you. You receive blessing from God, but do nothing with it. And I think the most defining characteristic about this servant from what he's rebuked, the, the rebuke that the king gives him when he returns, is you could have at least put it in the bank and made interest. If you were really concerned with my interest instead of your own interest, rather than giving me this excuse that, like, I knew that you were severe and I didn't want to lose it and I didn't want to, I I, I, I wanted to make sure that I had it when you came back. If you were really concerned with my interest, you could have at least put it in the bank and it could have made marginal interest. So the problem with the servant is that he has no real interest in the king or the king's kingdom. It's just self-preservation. And so the master here condemns such unbelief as prideful wickedness. And when I first read this, I thought, man, maybe he just is one of these uh, believers that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians that they're saved, but yet as through fire. Like they, they still know the Lord, but it seems like whatever blessing they would have had by faithful obedience gets taken away and given to the one who was really faithful. But when Jesus tells this kind of comparable Comparable parable. I'm so sorry. Um, And the talents, the one that he takes away this last one from because of his unfaithfulness, he's cast into outer darkness. This is not characteristic of a believer. Believers seek to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. And the ones who are mainly concerned with our own kingdom and our own safety and have no real interest in Jesus' kingdom are ones who were like the citizens who... Rejected Jesus' rule and his reign, but rather than send him a letter to let him know, they just let him know by their unfaithfulness. This is what I, I read uh, in later in Luke when it's describing uh, Peter. It says he followed Jesus, these are indicting words, from a distance. Enough to keep a distance, enough to keep from being associated with him, enough to keep free of the danger of identifying with Jesus in life. He followed him from a distance. And this is effectively what this faithless servant is doing, is, is I'm still claiming to be a servant. I, I trust in him enough to claim the name of Christ. I just don't have interest in actually being faithfully obedient to Christ. And I think that if you look at the parable of the talent. The, the end of the citizens and the end of faithless servants in name only are the same. The difference was the name that they had put on themselves. One's a citizen that acts like a servant but is not really, and one just knows he's not a servant. Those who receive Jesus' mercy and reign now will reign with him later, and those who reject his mercy and his reign now will be destroyed when he comes. And the door is wide open. It says, come to me. If you would be forgiven and enter into life, come to the king for mercy and for him to rule over you. For him to reign in your life. But let's not pretend to receive his mercy while rejecting his rule. That is, he has not offered that to us. All of his people will give an account for how we honored him with our lives, how we stewarded the treasure of knowing him and the treasure of making him known. I want us to remember this morning some of the final words that we have in divine revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says in chapter 22, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. This is what he wants you to remember. I'm closing out this word that I'm giving to you, and I want you to remember I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me. And he's generous and he's kind. I read this morning, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all of his works. He is kind and generous. He's going to repay you so much better than you deserve for the littlest of faithfulness. But he will not be mocked. By us claiming his name and rejecting his rule, he wants us to be mindful of the fact that he's coming soon and to want his reward, to, to think about his reward and to labor for it. He's coming to repay us for what we have done and not just what we've done, but how we did it. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 4 when he says, it's required of stewards that we be found faithful. You're a steward. You're not an owner. You're a steward. Everything in your life has been entrusted to you as a gift. Your life, your next breath, wait for it. That was a gift. That one right there, that was a gift. You didn't deserve it. You could die, fall over in your chair right now. You don't deserve it. The money that makes you feel so secure because you have it in your bank account and tomorrow it could be gone, that's a gift. It's not yours. It's his. Your children don't belong to you. They're his. Your marriage is his. Your life, your time belongs to him. Don't forget. We don't just just tithe him. Lord, here's 10% of my money and the rest of it belongs to me. No, it belongs to him. You are a steward. And it's required of stewards that we be found faithful. And what matters is not just what we do, but how we do it. Paul says, look, I'm not judged by you or by anyone. It's the Lord who judges me, and he is going to come. And when he comes, he will disclose the purposes of our hearts, and each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, look, I can give away all that I have, I can even give up my life as a martyr for Jesus. And if I don't have love, I gain nothing. That is staggering. Staggering. Can you imagine actually right now giving away everything that you have to the poor and then going out and dying for Jesus' namesake, but doing it in order to earn his righteousness? And when you meet him face to face, he says, I love you. I've forgiven you. And you're expecting this great reward for all that, all that you had given away, all that you had done. But because you did it for yourself and not for him, it profited you nothing. So what matters is not just what we've done, but how we have done it. Whether we've done it for his glory and his namesake. <clears throat> and so I want you to remember that Jesus is telling this parable because people thought his kingdom was to appear immediately. And now... We live in this age between the inauguration of his kingdom and the consummation of it when he returns and establishes it finally on the earth. Jesus said his kingdom would come and start like a mustard seed, but it would fill the whole earth. And believers differ on what we think that's going to look like with Jesus' kingdom coming to earth and how much of it's going to come physically before he comes back. But the point is it's coming and it keeps coming until he returns And his servants are faithful in praying, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Make it happen here like it is in heaven. We want to see it come. We want to see people set free by your gospel into your salvation. We want to see the blind receive sight. We want to see those held captive set free. We want to see those who are brokenhearted bound up. We want our ministry to actually look like the ministry of Jesus when he says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news and to set free those who are oppressed. I want to see God's actual kingdom coming to the earth. And Jesus' reign expanding through every nook and cranny until he is king in Brattleboro, until he's king to the ends of the earth. And so while we wait, we don't, hunker down and bury the treasure waiting for the kingdom to come and say well when he comes it'll all be all right no no no. we wake up and we get to work this is what he's called us to do until he comes to engage in the work that he's called us to praying and laboring for his kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so what is the kind of work well certainly it's hearing his word it's believing him it's obeying what he reveals to us it's loving him with all of our heart soul mind and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself but in the immediate context it looks a lot like us seeking out and pursuing the salvation of those who are lost this was the immediate context of this parable the son of man came to seek and save the lost and you flip to daniel 7 and why everybody had this whoa moment when he said the son of man Is because in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, he was seeing a vision of the future. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion Is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so Jesus, right here, is declaring himself to be this king. And when he ascended to the Father, he was going to retrieve this kingdom. And so, this parable of the nobleman is not just like a nice story. Jesus is the nobleman who went to receive the kingdom, and he commissioned his servants before he left do business until I return. In Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Here's a minor, church. Go make disciples. Teach them to obey me. Teach all of them, all of them, everywhere, to obey me. To come to me by faith. To receive the forgiveness of sins through my blood and to honor me with their lives. Teach them to obey me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he says, go be my witnesses to me and to my gospel from, from here in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. Here's a minor church. Go and make a return. This gospel is not just for you. Go make a return. Go win souls. Go seek and save that which is lost. And so I want to give us a couple, I've got three minutes. I want to give you a couple pastoral words in light of this, and then I'll hand it off to Silas. So one, your master is coming at an hour that you do not expect. If if people ask you, when is Jesus coming? Just tell them when you don't expect. So be ready. Be watchful. This is what he says all throughout when he's teaching on his return. He's saying, be watchful, live awake. It's as Peter says, be sober minded for the purpose of your prayers. Be a watchful and a prayerful people and be about your father's business. Again, we're, we're going to get into a sermon series that we're going to call Christ is King. but This is about the functional surrender of our lives whoa, it's about the functional surrender of our lives in our daily life, right? Christ actually king over your time. Christ actually king over your money. Christ actually king over your mission and over your Sunday mornings and over your every night, every day of the week where Jesus is Lord and we surrender to him and do what he's called us to do. No part of our life buried underground. And again, I was reading this morning, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you take notice of him, he's here just for a little while and then he vanishes away. Your life is a vapor. We've shown it up here before. This little aerosol can just gone. What are you going to do with the vapor that he has entrusted to you? Let's speak, not as to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And the last thing I would say is to walk by his spirit in the work he calls you to. You to. So some people would hear, make a return until I come and think, wow, I've got to quit my job and I've got to go be like Silas and Riley. And I just need to go to like the hardest place, the coldest place, and where there's like the most lost people and I just need to like go hard for probably a year until I run out of gas. And for some people, that's their calling. And for more of us than we know, that's your calling. But for some people, he's called you to stay home and nurture the kids and to fold the laundry and to read great books and teach your children. Or he's called you to go be an IT professional at a college or to go fill in the blank. And the most obedient thing that you can do, the most spiritual thing you can do, is to obey him. That's what he wants. He, he's entrusted to you, your mina. It's not somebody else's. And he wants you to steward the gifts that he has given you faithfully until he comes. Now, until he comes, that means don't stop. You, you Abide in the vine. Draw life from his life. Be in his word and meditate in it day and night. Draw strength from his spirit and his strength. But this is an Ephesians 2.10 kind of calling where he has prepared. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why did he leave you here, beloved? For good works, which he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So you don't have to go conjure up good works to walk in. He's already set the table for you when you wake up and go into your day. So you can abide in your God and say, God, open my eyes and help me to see what you've called me to today. Help me be obedient to every opportunity for the gospel. God, give me opportunities for the gospel and let me be obedient. I don't wanna miss one. Every act of mercy, God, open my eyes to see people in need and help me to obey. And so this call is not a call to go embrace somebody else's mind or somebody else's calling. But the question remains, what are you doing? with what Jesus has entrusted to you? What are you doing with the gospel he's entrusted to you? What are you doing with the mission he's entrusted to you? What are you doing with the life, the time, the things that he's given to you to make a return on until he comes? It's not just for you. It's for him. This is my prayer for us. Uh, And then I invite Silas, you can come up here, man. This is my prayer for us. So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, church, might be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God.